Hello and welcome back to the Wide World of Wargaming, Age of Sigmar podcast. As always, I am one of your hosts, Alex Gonzalez, with my fellow co-hosts, John and Jeremy. Garrett's out uh, with a bit of the con cred. John, I know that you have a little bit of that as well. Sure, uh, Alex, you know, as it was, I... uh... Just came back from Las Vegas yesterday. I've been resting today. Took the day off work to try and heal up from this here con crud. And so what's on my workbench is a a classic drink loved by young and old NyQuil. Let's see here. Ah, absolutely delicious. That sweet licorice flavor <laughs> and healing goodness. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> Other than that, uh, just been working on uh, editing together some of the sound bites from the LVO. Recorded a lot of interviews with various uh, listeners and players. A little shout out to uh, listener Corey McKinney. Uh, good to talk to you, brother, at the LVO. Look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, anyways, that's about really all I got going on. Uh, how about you, Jeremy? Uh, what was going on uh, on your workbench this last uh, since the LVO there? I'm stuck assembling Carrot on Overlords in a desperate attempt to make them good, but going to get sorely disappointed. Um, we'll see after the fact, maybe. I, I I, mean, right now they're just garbage. So that's, you know, pretty much on my workbench. I can't say that I'm drinking cough syrup, or I guess NyQuil. I guess it's not really cough syrup. Uh, but I am drinking some Glenlivet 12. And uh, I'm surprised I am not more sick from the weekend because I think I've only set to combine 10 hours for four days so I'm, uh, i am surprised i did not catch anything or like a food bug or something but uh, yeah, l- lucky you lucky you i tell you what i swear every sick person in the world came and said hi to me my my body felt like it was ba- battling wave after wave of disease coming at me <laughs> <laughs> um also didn't help uh that you know like we have like a major pandemic of this right now and uh in china and uh it's also lunar new year in vegas uh, so that was probably uh not that not that anybody got sick but it was just like uh, my, my wife was uh, constantly reminding me that uh i need to uh, basically uh, be careful when i'm in vegas whatever that means um but what I, about you I, alex yeah <laughs> Sorry, John, I cut you off. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying, yeah, less shaking hands than normal is probably about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex, what's on your workbench? Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely don't have the con cred, which I'm thankful for. Um, and yeah, you know, it took me to you know walk in the busy streets of the strip to realize, like, hey, you know, there's there's a virus going around, so maybe I probably should stay in in the in the hall rather than you know directly on the sidewalk with the most people. Um, but uh, you know, like you guys, uh, not a lot of sleep in Vegas. You know, thankfully they typically pump a lot of the you know, oxygen into the, uh, into the uh, actual, you know, casinos themselves, which makes things pretty helpful. It gives you a little extra pep in your step. And, uh, uh, for my listener, for the listeners who don't know, uh, I'm a health coach by trade. So I try my best to, you know, make sure that all the vitamins are had right to, to avoid any sort of, uh, sluggishness. But I will say this is the first LVO that I did not lose my voice completely, but at all. Uh, normally it takes one, maybe two days maximum for me to completely lose my voice and act like I'm selling FLG mats. Um, 
but it it never I, happened. I didn't ha- get to use a recent pressure in full effect due to just drinking way more water than I normally did. And instead of just having one pack of, of cough drops, basically constantly having a handful of cough drops on my person. I disagree. I, I don't think that's why. I think, uh, honestly, my, my theory is that you were so less salty the entire weekend <laughs> that your voice did not dry up. <laughs> Uh, that's the best theory I've heard. That's the only one that really makes sense to me anyways. <laughs> that's the one we're going to stick to then. <laughs> but uh, for our listeners, of course, we are going to be talking about LVO because it just happened. All of us, you know, we uh, normally record on Monday. Right now we are recording this week on a Tuesday instead. We all had to have a day to keep to ourselves and rest up or even just travel home from the from Las Vegas. And uh you know, as we previously mentioned, it was the it is the biggest wargaming convention in the world. It was not the biggest Age of Sigmar championship in the world. I believe that uh, title went to CanCon this, this same weekend as LVO Champs, but we will get to that on another day. We do, of course, want to talk about the LVO for our AOS championships, and of course, that starts with day one. Day one, we had three different missions, um, you know, and with the variety of players, it was anyone's bet who was going to win round one. But before we did, uh, you know, we've already talked about the stats, we've talked about our lists. John, as much as I want to ask you how your day one went in terms of gaming, you weren't actually gaming. And for our listeners, they may recall that you're going to, you were shoutcast. Can you tell us about day sure, one? Sure, sure. So day one, uh, you know, I will say that I was pretty nervous uh, going into this. Not not super nervous about public speaking and all that, but just uh, the larger picture of, of being responsible for the live stream at such a, a large event. Now, of course, I was supposed to have my partner, uh, Garrett, helping me, and I was supposed to have a Don helping me and unfortunately a dawn fell with uh, pneumonia and never actually made it to the lvo and honestly as much as i wanted our fr- good friend garrett to join me uh, i know in years past he has often had to work very hard at the lvo and this year was no exception so he was actually unable to join me on the live stream either so for the most part i found myself starting off on friday thinking that oh gosh here i am going to the weekend and i got to cover this whole thing by myself now mr scott reed and mariana of course are not going to leave me hanging like that so uh they got together and found a gentleman by the name of roger vance and roger is a a good long-term gamer a gentleman from uh, west virginia Real good boy, real good old boy, as it were. Uh, does live in San Diego, and so games in Scott Reed's actual backyard. Uh, and so Roger hung out with me all day. Uh, we got to know each other Friday. Um, as far as the games go, it was uh, pretty fun. Uh, we had talked a little bit, and Chris picked the first round, which was Ryan Lavoy with his Cities of Sigmar and Chris Hernandez with Seraphon. Of course, they did Focal Points 2018. And then going into round two, I was actually uh, beginning to be able to pick the players. And as I went through, I saw a young lady who had an amazing looking Ideneth army. So Natasha Thomas had this incredible Ideneth army. She actually ended up winning best painted with this army, uh, massive conversions, incredible handwork on the eels. Uh, I was inspired, uh, 
I now want to go back and try and finish my items. I was telling her about the difficulty I had with the polka dots on my eels, and she gave me a little secret on how to speed them up and make them look better. She, of course, was paying against Justin Costello and his Seraphon. So that was the second Seraphon of the stream that kind of became the theme for everything. Great game between those two. And then round three, our teammate, good friend, Matt Barker with his Nurgle army, his amazing, gorgeous Garden of Nurgle army. And, of course, uh, Matt Beasley with uh, Zinch on there. Now, we are each going to tell a little story from each of our days. And so my story from day one is this. At the end of their match, I invited Matt Beasley and Matt Barker over for an interview. And I tell the players, look, guys, I'm going to ask you some questions about your games. And what I want you to do is at the end of telling us about the games, you can promote anything that you want. So I had Marker, Matt Barker, our teammate, go first, of course, because he did lose the match. And at the end, he wanted to talk about the American chestnut. There's a big uh, recovery program to try and bring that tree back. And so he went on for a while about those recovery efforts. Well, no surprise to probably our listeners, but a big surprise to Matt Barker. <laughs> and poor Matt Beasley sat there, and I could tell he knew he was in trouble when I responded to Matt and said, yeah, you know, uh, I know about the American chestnut, and I started telling people how they can get a hold of their own American chestnuts from the American Autobahn Society. Uh, and so, would you believe it, that my partner, Roger Vance, owns a mountain back in West Virginia, so he contacted his brother, who then got a hold of the American Autobahn Society, and before the end of the weekend, they had ordered 100 American chestnuts to be planted on their mountain back in West Virginia. So that is how my day one went. How about you, Jeremy? How was your day one? Um, so I'll, I'll start with my state of mind uh, going into day one, which was that... Uh, and this is the first event I've ever been to where I'm in the top spot. And this is the event that decides if I win it or not. So I can't go up, right? I can only go down for the rest of the day. Rest of the day. So it was already pretty pretty, uh, pretty rough, uh, <laughs> like a very different mentality for me. But my, my first opponent, lovely mo like lovely guy who's playing uh, Ogre Maw Tribes. Um, and he introduces himself at the beginning of the game before we start deploying. And he's like, yeah, this is like my first LVO. Like, I just got into the game and uh, so forth and so forth. And I'm just like, the entire time, I'm just like, oh, my God. Not that I'm thinking, like, I'm just going to, like, you know, who knows? Maybe he's really good. But I'm like, oh, that's just, just going to be the worst unfortunate news for him. So, I, I, you know, he asked me, like, you know, what's my experience with, like, uh, with AOS? I'm like, ah, I've been playing it for a long time. I'm number one in the circuit right now and he just like his face kind of just drops <laughs> um just a reality that what he's facing is a uh, john likes to call me is the boogeyman but i i just didn't know what i didn't want to lie to him and or obscure like obscure no, also i you hope can't. he didn't like <laughs> yeah i i was like i hope it doesn't like fluster the guy um the game obviously like did not go well he he didn't i, I, I recommended some things he didn't really follow up on them not because i think he didn't believe them but i think he just wanted to see the result it's himself uh so the game was pretty much decided by like like top three uh top of uh, turn three um and then my next game i played another ogre mantra i played but this one was more of a um an interesting like list but it was like more beast claw raiders like the old beast claw raider list uh on the mission that's uh i think duality of death with the old duality of death where behemoth and heroes are scoring not just uh battle line and heroes and he um 
he he got first turn because of lower drops and and i was like i was looking at two stone horns pretty buffed up relics and so forth sitting on on both objectives with a two huskard on a thunder tusk as well and i was like okay i gotta i gotta chew through these stone horns to basically uh <coughs> sorry to basically uh get these points and that's how the game went basically by turn three i think he had lost on turn one he lost one of his stone horns on turn three he lost the second one uh and but you know he just couldn't make up the points between that point and he was he kind of get you know we shook hands on turn three um game three oh my god I'm i'm sorry to my opponent i'm trying to recall who i played uh but Wow, what a man. Uh, I know, guys. It's just it's it's just it's unfortunate because um I played unlike most of us in this podcast, I played eight games that weekend. <laughs> so- okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're spoiling it for the listeners there, but I'm know. sure the listeners already know. Hey, I, I, um, I had to work through eight games too, y'all have you know. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, whatever. whatever, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, keep on going. Tell us about your easy matchup. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it. I don't think it's fair to call it an easy match. Oh, I played against uh, – um, I think I played against – no, I think that's round four. It doesn't matter. Um, so that was my day one. Um, not, like I said, all of um, – I want to mention it again. All lovely opponents, like, didn't – like, no problem whatsoever. I mean, I mean was it, was it reason- Ben Neal, our teammate that you played against perhaps? Uh, member of the uh, podcast. <laughs> Is that play Ben Neal on round three? Yeah, I've been looking at him for the record. For the he record. didn't introduce himself. Oh wait, no, no, he he kind of did because he tried to give me one of the podcast sticker <laughs> as soon as I was trying to give him one of the podcast sticker, and I was very confused. I was like, "Oh, somebody must have given a bunch of the podcast stickers." Oh no, here. Uh, oh my god, I'm I, I, you know the funny thing is, um, <laughs> that makes so much more sense now. He plays Skaven, right? He played this. He was a Skaven player. I played. Um. No, and no, he had corn. <laughs> oh, right, the corn list. Oh my god. Oh no, no, that's that's round four. I'm pretty sure. No, did I play him round three or round uh, four? Round, you know, round three. It's, it's okay, Jeremy. It's okay. It's almost oh like it would be convenient if there was an app that we could check and see. I know. And the worst played. part of that game is uh, Ben Neal was like whooping my ass, but he didn't read the packet. Once again, for the audience and the uh, uh, the audience, read the fucking packet. For God's sake, don't pull a Matthew Pashby. Uh, he didn't read the mission. He did not read, a, you know, invoking the spirit of the fallen. Oh, no. Uh, but he didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, too, too bad. He's not dead, too, guys. He's just retired. Just saying, too bad he, um, he couldn't have listened to, like, a podcast that could have prepped him for the packet. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Fuck. He, uh, yeah, Ben. I'm sorry, Ben. I'm, I'm never going to let this go now. But uh, I let this down. But, yeah, he didn't read the packet and thought that um, – we the the side you know it's the one where you have four objectives and whoever at the turn top of turn three onwards if you control all four objectives you win the game and he on turn he went on he went uh, on in his turn two he started backing away from the objectives but keep in mind like i had this blocker herf guard desperately trying to kill this the most buffed up version of archeon you can possibly make like the guy was 
almost like borderline unkillable. Like I can't do anything to that Archeon whatsoever. And um, truth be told, like Archeon took no wounds in that in that in that game. But the the point was the matter is like I knew that was gonna happen, so I just kind of like moved up one of my Hearth guy blocks, saying like, "Hey, it's in charging distance of Archeon. Would you like to engage this unit?" And move this model off, like all of the you know, f- you know, away from anything relevant for the rest of the game. And Ben kind of took the bait. It's not like it was like totally out of range, but it was like I kind of knew my Herf guards were going to be able to tank him until turn three at least, and just kind of had this like unit of ten Herf guard like walk around behind that big big unit just towards his home, the, his his version his home corner objectives. And on turn two, he the the guys who were scoring it basically walked away from it. So I was just like, all they got to do is just walk and they get that one so the only one was going to be at a challenge was the one on the other corner but uh i ended up um when once again another situation where he he kind of left it open but he had a he had a he had a gotcha moment for me which was which was adorable so first (laughs) i get cocky it's turn three i won priority and i'm like i'm just gonna go claim both objectives and win the game right and that's that's it even though archeon just just is about it's just finished off like the 20 earth cards he was fighting against right or i think there was like a couple left he was about to get you know roam free on the board um and then i'm like i explained to him like look this is what's gonna happen this turn and the game is gonna end and then he and he's listening and he's listening and he's like but wait I have two blood type points that I can spend to move these five blood warriors four, five inches to maybe block the hearth guard moments. And then I was trying to explain them. That won't matter because they can pile in twice and they'll get extra movement out of it, which will put enough models in range of the objectives. Now, what it did do is it prevented me from uh, getting um, from robbing him of his uh, is basically his hidden agenda, which robbed me of a point. Um, but the the uh, it was a nice kind of like I have totally forgot about that that blood point mechanic and that was a nice gotcha moment. Um, but yeah, that's how the uh, the game three uh, ended. Like I, I mean, his plan could have worked if it was just if it wasn't for the fact that it was if he had like slightly used his judgment of corn uh, the hexagorge skull so like use him as a wall like a bet to block off the the alleyway with the blood warriors. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not how that game result. Like to be honest, like had I been any different, I think the game would have basically ended on a on a point difference. And I, I had set up myself to basically on a flank in which like I was going to get more points on his side of the army than Archeon was going to be able to kill. So anyway, that was my game three. Alex, that was your first day. Oh man! Well, I do have an app, so I can you know make sure that I got everything on the up and up here. Um, Did you play any of our podcasters? Maybe you maybe you played uh, Vincent Morgan. Oh yeah, no, I definitely played him. Well, I, hey, for the record, <laughs> this whole podcast is me playing him. But uh, that, that's gonna get edited out. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, my day one, I started by going up against a guy named Scott Scott Adams specifically, and I saw Gunline. I saw Tempestus Eye Gunline. Um, it was. You know, it was something I saw the Hurricanum. Uh, I saw a huge unit of old Caradon overlords, uh, despite what the Twitterverse might say. You know, I think that Scott Reed, the TO of LVO, was pretty smart to not bring a new faction that didn't yet have an FAQ. So um, it there was no uh, KO and there was no, uh, you know, there was no KO and there was no additional um 
uh, say zinc shenanigans there, but uh, I we we had the old sky hooks and the old aether chemist, which is a whole nother story. Um, he had the hurricanum. He had a bunch of uh, dwarves, so a bunch of extra just Durden lying around. Um, you know, he had a warden king as his general. He had a bunch of iron breakers, like a bunch of iron breakers and uh, and iron drakes. So. Uh, and he had some aether rings and, and some engine ringers. So all around, it was a it was a unique list. But I knew what you know, eighteen skyhooks can do. You know, a, a unit of buffed up, uh, 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 whatever Arcanaut company. And so I was like, great, they're a you know they're a four inch move and a twenty four inch skyhook. I'm gonna put myself twenty four. No, I'm gonna put myself twenty six inches away from his skyhooks because I don't have to worry about them. Lo and behold, I don't play against enough Cities of Sigmar lists because I totally did not know that everything is just plus three move and plus one to their save in the first turn. Um, I, he didn't even have to use his run and charge uh, command trait because I didn't even remember that one either, but he was already within 18 skyhook range of my army come turn one. So that was my big F up just to start the game off. Uh, for a few people who initially watched my game, Jeremy, I know you mentioned it before, it looked like I might not have had anything on the table by the end of the game. Um, I made a, a lot of really good moves and a really, really fantastic charge um, on turn two um, and really got a lot of his units in combat very quickly. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to get his Arcanaut company in combat till the very last second, but um, I did get that major win, that full 25-point win off against Scott, but it was a pleasure playing him anyways and it was a clutch ass game because you know turn one one harvester was dead turn two boom both the second harvester is dead turn three oh hey look at that Ark, uh, arkans on a mystical terrain that's cute you're dead so you know very quickly just started you know laying it on me uh my round two opponent oh, it was duality of death and uh that one is of course uh, the 2018 duality of death so you need uh behemoths and heroes unfortunately my opponent john edward another great guy but he only had two heroes he had a warlock and uh, a warlock engineer and a vermin lord warp seer so pretty quickly i started jumping my heroes on the objectives and he had already deployed his heroes in a way where there was just no way they were going to get objectives. Um, he had a, um, a warlock engineer near volcanic terrain also, uh, with a huge gun line with, um, uh, uh, well, one warp lightning cannon and nine Gisales. Uh, and then he had two blocks of 40 monks and a bunch of clan rats in between. Um, he tried to bring his warp seer up, but he didn't really go for an objective. Uh, he did have the warlock that stayed behind the entire time. Uh, I basically crushed one flank and then went on to the other one. But in the meantime, uh, you know, volcanic terrain kept on going off in his area on his gun line. So he kept on taking mortal wounds on things. And then of course, like warp lightnings like to do, it blew itself up. Um, I used the carrion bird like a little knife, and I really enjoyed using that because the carrion bird started helping pick away at Giselle's and eventually also doing enough mortal wounds to everything within six that a warlock engineer that never moved out of six eventually just died as well. Um, I did lose Catacross, though. Uh, I thought it was going to be the, for the first time, forgetting that Jeremy nuked him with Gotrek in his basement. So I didn't also know that Jeremy was right behind me when I said, to my to John, oh hey, that's the first time I've ever lost Catacros. Because immediately I hear Jeremy go, No! Gotrek killed him in my basement. And I went, Oh yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> but you know, it was a really Keeping great game. The good guys honest, that's what that is. Absolutely. 
Uh, but it was a good game either way. Uh, it was very fun. He's uh, he's an Aussie, uh, or, or I believe New Zealander. My bad. Uh, but it was always it was a fun game. And with my third and final opponent, uh, I did play a uh, Miguel. He brought Seraphon. He brought a bucket of uh, skinks. It was hilarious. Uh, and I narrowly got oh, I got, I got that win in as well. And it was a great game. Going into uh, the day one, of course, I went 3-0, and just like Jeremy. And uh, we can then talk about round uh, day two. And with day two, we start off with round four. Uh, John, can you tell us a little bit about how the live stream worked out for day two, round four and five? Sure, sure. So going into day two, uh, I was really starting to feel that uh, con crud that I was fighting against. I had actually went to bed fairly, fairly early Friday night uh, after going to the Gordon Ramsay's. And uh, first thing, I got to pull in our good friend and... Uh, buddy Cody Quigley. Of course, we hung out with him down at the SoCal Open with his Flesh Eater Courts. He did end up winning Best Flesh Eater Courts of the Year, and it was Border War 2019. He played up against uh, Anthony Lawrence with his daughters, a cane. And, you know, really, the main thing for me is um, before each of the games, um, you know, I had to pull the, get the players, run around the hall, gather them up, um, get them mic'd up. So I'd actually explain to them how to wear the mics, get all that sort of stuff, sort of the technical details. And then I decided, um, and I did this Friday as well, uh, to really explain to the, the players kind of how I wanted the live stream to go. And what I said to everybody is that here on the age of Sigmar live stream, we are going to emphasize the above table game. We're going to showcase how Age of Sigmar is a game that doesn't lack in competitiveness. It doesn't lack in good gameplay. But what it does lack in is uh, aggressive or beardy play uh, above the table. And so uh, for every single player, every single pair of players, I made a real emphasis that I asked them to say what they were going to roll, say what their targets are, say what their dice is, declare intent declare distances, declare measurements, and if possible, to even have some good conversation. And this played out in every single round for me. In fact, from my perspective as the live streamer, I thought I was going to have to like announce over every single one of these games and was, was really afraid I was going to burn my voice out all day. But actually, uh, once I got things going, I basically introduced the mission, read the mission, read the players' lists, and from there, the players filled the airtime by talking back and forth and joking and bantering. And then at the end of each uh, game, of course, I pulled them over and did a little interview. And then for round five, of course, I had Mr. Ruckman Senanayaki and William Sohaleli. And uh, believe me, uh, those are some difficult names to say. And I'm sure I didn't say them perfect as much as I have practiced both of them and had both of them have me uh, say their names to me and try and get them right. Uh, so I apologize, gentlemen, and I will continue to work on your names as the days go by. And of course, this is our first time seeing uh, William, and we'll hear a little bit more about him later in the podcast. And uh, pretty much that is how my day two went. Two quick rounds, nice, easy day, nothing bad, nothing strong. Um, it was actually nice uh, to get out of there after all of that. And then, um, uh, lucky me, I, I went and played a little slots because I was done and won a quick 300 bucks. So I uh, was pretty happy at that, too. So how about you, uh, Jeremy? How did day two go for you? Again, a little bit easier day with only two rounds going in. <laughs> I don't know about easier, John. Um, mostly because uh, the start of day two, I uh, 
kind of had a you know continuing the explanation of going into the event being top dog and uh, nothing to win but only to lose kind of had a panic attack going into a day two. Oh. Not, like, sorry i should be rephrase that like i felt like i had the um the bringing of a panic attack which is something i sometimes struggle with uh personally and um a, but going into day two i play i faced against um, a player named trevor or and uh, this time i went to the app and checked their names uh, <laughs> and uh, he uh, brought uh, skaven and he did something i think most skaven players do when they don't play fire slayers against fire slayers very often is uh charge plague monks into a herf card block on the first turn uh that did not go well um, from that point onwards, when I won priority on turn two, I was able to kind of just sweep into his army and just start removing. Like I think I killed like no, I almost killed the second bell, but I killed his first screaming bell. Uh, killed all the plague monks, and at this point, he was oh, not all of them, but two out of the three units. He was kind of out of um of the runnings because uh, the he just wasn't going to be able to get back on the objectives. Uh, one of the big fallacies in armies that uh. Uh, that bring a lot of shooting um, is that uh, against my fire slayers is that they they get demoralized when they hear that the orc earth guards can basically start taking wounds for the characters and just give up shooting them for some reason uh, when instead they should just be shooting the orc earth guards first and then moving on to the characters but you know uh, that was a lesson learned hopefully with trevor and the second uh, second round i played against uh Anthony Lawrence, uh, my big uh, one of the potential winners of ITC, depending on how my record was going to go for the event, and so there was a little bit of pressure on me on, on doing well in that mission, or well, more than usual. And I re uh, the game went uh, actually like technically, you know, looking back, I think uh, Anthony had it if it wasn't for her failed charge on a ch on his shrine uh, to basically rob me of uh, the last few models I had on the table to score an objective. Uh, but in retrospect, too. Um, there was a there was a bit of a situation where I was also the mission was kind of this, like way easier for him to it was Star Strike and uh, basically I kind of took a, a very different approach as pl uh, playing my Fire Slayers in Star Trek against him was which was that I kind of kept it conservative instead of like committing both of my Hearthguard block into his army because I was waiting on where the the turn three uh star strikes were gonna land so i only sent one hearth guard blocked into fighting basically his entire army which meant that like i was a clearly at this disadvantage in terms of killing power but i think in retrospect that's still the right play just mostly because uh i didn't want to if i was fully committed from turn two onwards and the third uh, star strike land in a position where i was going to be like not able to get it uh, on my home objectives then that was going to be problematic even his home objective star trek i needed i needed that second herf guard block to be able to like maneuver into position for it effectively um but that was that was my day two and uh i think uh, anthony lawrence uh, ended up learning a lot from that game again about fire slayers and how i play which will play a crucial role um for him uh, in the next season yeah 
Alex, would you like to share your oh, day two? Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> my my day two, uh, you know, going into it, it, I was pretty excited. I knew that, you know, being undefeated was going to be pretty helpful. And I knew that round three was uh, what I called the litmus test in previous recordings for OBR players who liked that crawler meta. And let me tell you what, that crawler meta didn't really stand up to a lot in the end. So, haha, internet, take that. Um, that being said, uh, my round four opponent was a fantastic guy. I played against uh, a guy from uh, the Calgary area of Canada, um, and uh, his name is Paul. Paul is a great guy. If you noticed the best painted army selections on day two, um, he his army was the Iron Jaws army that was all yellow with the kind of like Triceratops skeleton throughout the middle of the display board. Uh, Paul Ting is a great guy. Um, he was super uh, fun to super fun to play against. Um, you know, he's one of the, he he had been recording on Facebook and on Instagram all of his games. So you know, he said, "Hey, uh, I'm getting a selfie with each one of my opponents. Like, can I get a selfie?" And I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." So uh, we played, uh, and it was a really good game. Um, he. He ambushed me with the old Iron Jaw mechanic. I've been playing so many Big Wog uh, that I totally forgot about kind of the the extra moves that you can get with Iron Jaws in addition to what you know we can do with the new books. Um, and it was Realm of Shadow. So immediately I got uh, ambushed and I uh, was a little bit more on my back foot. But you know they the army can't really handle blocks of Mortec Guard. Uh, the way, or even a harvester that's been buffed up in the way that other armies can. So it was. Uh, it became a very quick game, very quick, uh, very soon. But uh, in, but uh, yeah, I ended up winning that one. Uh, and then the final game was against Matt Beasley, which is another Pacific Northwesterner. He is, um, I believe, he won Wet Coast. Can you correct me on that, Jeremy? I think oh, okay, because he played you for all the marbles, right? No, I don't think so. I think I lost to, in Wet Coast, did I not lose to Math Pashby? Oh no, that was Riptide. Uh, so yeah, probably yeah. I think he. It was think he it was the work series I couldn't fail save. Uh no no he did not play a warp seer oh, somebody else well my bad uh, person who brought the warps here uh, <laughs> yeah well Matt's got Zinch uh, he almost consistently plays Zinch um, that was a really really crazy game because it came down to uh, a lot of weird shenanigans now it was old disciples of Zinch and he had a bunch of summoning points very quickly for his horrors. Uh, pink horrors, blue horrors, etc. And uh, he had a lot of casters. He had the Umbral Spell Portal, and so I was a little nervous about all of his casting. He had a lot of offensive casting overall, and I already had to fight against uh, Giselle Mortal Wound uh, Gunline as well as Cities of Sigmar Gunline. So I had been hitting those hard counters for OBR, you know, at least twice uh, uh, earlier in the missions. Uh, so I was kind of unsure about how I was going to work against this Zinch army. Now, again, this is old Zinch, um, but still it's very threatening. Um, he's got a very mobile army. He had six enlightened um, in addition to the Witchfire coven. And, uh, you know, round one, we both kind of play a little conservatively. Round two, um, it, it goes in my favor. He, of course, gives me first turn. Um, and then I uh, was able to jump into where, our, you know, we, we ended up rolling for the Star Strike. And the Star Strike was kind of far away from me. And that was not good. And I was in combat with his Enlightened with my Mortec already. And 
it was near an objective, uh, or the objective landed near not only where that combat was, but also in front of 30 blue horrors that were just summoned by him. Uh, so I was kind of already on the back foot. Um, thankfully, I was able to banish the uh, enlightened, jump on the objective, and kind of sit there and hold there while I killed everything around it. Um, and thankfully, the objectives in my end came at a very convenient spot, and his also came <clears throat> to an area where he was just not at at all. So I thankfully had the ability to hop on the objectives, and um, we had, uh, you know, we had not used the chess clock in deployment. Uh, I use a chess clock in all my games for very particular reasons. First and foremost, to keep myself all on the up and up, but also, hey, no one wants to be called a slow player, right? Um, we ended up having exact even time in the end. Oh, I don't yeah, know what that's right? like, Alex, um, but keep going. We ended up having exact <laughs> time for each of us, um, and we thought we had about 10 minutes each for a quick up and down for round five. Um, unfortunately, uh, Scott had let us know that we only had five minutes left, so that wasn't going to work out. Um, so we ended the game at the end of turn five, because at that point, uh, unless there were some incredible, incredible bouts of luck, there was really no way that he was going to be able to kit, uh, uh, beat me in terms of points. Um, but you know, there was a lot of movement shenanigans, a lot of good teleports. Unfortunately, at one point when he needed to make re-rollable charges to get into combat with my a small unit of Mortec to hop on one of his objectives to make it a much closer game, he failed one six-inch re-rollable charge, and he also failed three more nine-inch re-rollable charges all in a row and used all of his command points up right then and there. And that really hurt him in this game. Um, but, you know, this is a game. This is a dice game. So it was a good win for me. It was a great, uh, you know, I've never played Matt before, but we dodged each other in this area. So it was really fun to finally get a game with him. Um, but that ended my day two. Um, with that, you and I, Jeremy, we both went undefeated um, in terms of battle points for round for the initial day one. Um, you know, we had William in first uh, place, the William that John had mentioned previously with his Hedonites. We had myself in second. Um, we also had you, Jeremy. I believe you were in fourth uh, at that point. You might have been in fifth. I could, I could be right. wrong. Yep. Fourth or fifth. It was pretty, uh, pretty low. It's because I had a minor yeah, win against Yeah, that. and I think I, I only – I had perfect score except for I think two of my games I had 23-point wins. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, yep. going into uh, day three, you know, that was really nerve-wracking for all of us, I'm sure. You know, we still went out and partied. We still had a blast. Um, you know, we – all three of us did uh, go to a bit of a pub crawl that our uh, good friend Jessica McKelvey was able to put on with a promoter, and it was a blast. But it, uh, we are going to want to dive into day two. Day three. Day three. So day three, the big one, the top eight, there were only four tables and, of course, only four winners. So, uh, you know, John, uh, for that live stream, how did day one go? Did you stream to uh, the top eight at for starters or did something else happen? Well, actually, it was day three, Alex. And yeah. so much like Jeremy and yourself, I, too was undefeated through day one and day two of this oh, tournament. Yeah. Uh, faced many challenges, fighting against this crud, and uh, it hadn't taken me down yet. So uh, as you mentioned, I joined everybody out on the pub crawl. 
Uh, now, uh, when I was waiting for everyone to show up at the pub crawl, uh, a little bit uh, happy after my winnings at Bally's, I decided to drop some money into the slot machine at the MGM. And wouldn't you know, I won another 300 bucks. So uh, the evening was going pretty good for me. We went into that first margarita bar and I saw they had a spicy margarita that I ordered. And you know what, Alex? They took fresh jalapeno peppers and crushed them up in the margarita with a mortar and pestle. And so after drinking my margarita, I ate those fresh hot peppers, trying to do a little cold buster there. Keep me going. And I did keep going and going and going. And Donna finally drug me home. At 3 a.m. after many adventures, including some delicious Japanese whiskey from ITC champion Jeremy. <laughs> You're welcome, John. Yes, thank you very much. And so mo Sunday morning came very early for me, folks, and I needed to be on air at 9 a.m. And at 8.15, my eyes opened and I was wishing I could sleep for another hour. I couldn't. I forced my feet out of bed. I forced myself to stand. Uh, didn't have my eyes open. I pulled clothes on and stumbled down to the breakfast area. As I walked in, I said to them, give me coffee, give me orange juice and stumbled off to a table. Uh, pot of coffee, a couple glasses of orange juice later, I was feeling semi-human, made it in time for the first round. And as you mentioned, Alex, we did not cover the first round of the championships. In fact, we covered the first round of the doubles tournament with the Ubuntu tribe and the dimensional cascade. So a couple of great guys, dimensional cascade featured uh, Mr. Matt Beasley and his Zinch army for, he was earlier on the live stream. And after that fun game, finally, finally, now I was a little disappointed. We had actually been holding off on putting any Aussie Ark Bone Reapers on the live stream. Uh, we had pretty much assumed that there was going to be an Aussie Ark Bone Reapers player in the finals. And uh, since there was no Aussie Ark Bone Reaper player available to us for round seven or round eight, then, you know, <laughs> uh, we, were, we were left not being able to showcase any Aussie Ark Bone Reapers. It was kind of a kind of a failure on their part, but whatever. Do with Jesus what you can. Christ. So instead, <laughs> I brought up Mr. Jeremy Vessier and his Fire Slayers, who played against Anthony Lawrence uh, for a wonderful game. And I would give the tale of the tape and tell you what happened on their game. But one thing I discovered running the live stream: you have no clue what is happening on the game in front of you. Uh, it's hard to even tell what turn it is. If the players aren't keeping you up to date, there is no chance. I'm not even sure how you could really do a play-by-play -play commentary. Uh, it's just the angle you're at. You just can't see what's on the table and you're monitoring so many different things. So for me, I was very excited to have Jeremy up there. I wish I could have seen more of his game. Jeremy, maybe you could tell me something about the game that I missed. Um, I want to start us off that's that story with the fact that I played uh, eight amazing opponents, uh, and w one bad opponent. Um, no, it's it's fine. I played eight amazing opponents and one bad one. And for context, I only had eight games. You might want to be wondering how is that possible, Jeremy? Well. Because I had 
an overzealous judge on my first round on day three. Um, the game went well. I played Joe Cryer, formerly on the team ETC. One could even say I took a spot on the team. Joe, don't write me some hate. <laughs> uh, but the point, the point of the matter is, and we played Shifting Objective, which is probably one of the best mission for Fire Slayers. Like literally, hands down, one of the best ones. It's especially the 2018 one, which is on the short board, like a hammer and like a short board edge deployment. And you have three objectives concentrated in the middle. When you have like 40 Irv guards, like you're basically covering all three objectives, like no problem. Your short stunty legs, not a problem. Um, but it was on Ish, which has banishment as a realm spell. And for context, for those of the audience who don't know what banishment is, it's a spell that lets you force your opponent to deploy, uh, redeploy in, uh, one of their units uh, from 24 away from that, at least 24 away from that wizard we cast it. Now, Joe had a solution to that problem. He had a wizard that increases, is he able to increase range on all the spell abilities. So technically, I think it was uh, it had to be redeployed away uh 31 inches because i think his uh, ability gives him plus seven inches to spell range so the context of the game is joe is basically trying to fight off my fire slayers from scoring all the points every turn he's having a hard time because the endless spells that he's casting are not able to kill enough of them even the dark rift uh, um, the darker from the, the Slaves of Darkness book, who's pumping like between ten to fifteen mortal wounds a turn into my units, but you know, as he as soon as you have a four up, you know, shrug save, it's hard. And the reason why my heroes weren't dying is because I was keeping the heroes exactly about ten inches away from my hearthguard blocks, but wholly even twelve inches of the guy of my hero with no soul in the no sitting icon which was uh, gives me a four up to deny, deny the effect of spells and then the spells uh, upon them. And he was having a hard time chewing through the heroes. All the while, I'm just, you know, finding out his chaff. Like the thing about Joe's list and the thing about Joe is that he's very good at making sure the units he summons and resummons can be in an advantageous spot to keep scoring the points. So the objectives, you know, shifted and shifted, but he was losing the war of attrition on the objectives basically over the period of the game. Now, Banishment is the spell that makes all the difference for him because I can't keep the Hearthguard blocks holy even 12 and still score like the objectives like I want to. So every time he gets Banishment off, he basically allows him to redeploy his units or move his units in a way where they can gain ground to try to block me from scoring the objectives. And I think I had one unit of Hearthguard, the same exact unit of Hearthguard, get banished three times over the period of the game. Uh, thankfully, that, pr- that objective... I think it was only priority once, which meant that I was able to keep scoring the games and accumu- uh, secure the points and accumulate. Uh, it didn't really, uh, like, honestly, it didn't make a difference. Like, management was a crucial thing and it played to the game. But what I mean is when it didn't mean a difference is that when the judge came in and started actively, biasly address Joe's, like, interpretation of banishment and his casting and watching him, in, I think it flustered my opponent, and I think it basically uh, kind of basically helped me win in a way because he was arguing with the judge, making bad decisions, getting angry with the judge about him basically actively um, making decisions. 
Now, I don't know who this judge is, but uh, you know, I, I I never asked for your help, and I do appreciate that. Like you're there to keep the rules honest, but you know that is um, that was an unfortunate uh, that was an unfortunate aspect of my game, uh, and I hope uh, I hope uh, that it didn't really make the difference between me winning and me losing effectively. Round the last Wait, round. Jeremy, eight, Jeremy, uh, I'm, I'm going to interject oh, real quick there. Uh, one yeah. quick thing is. Uh, I want to bring up that judge's name because that's not important. But um, as you know, I myself an experienced TO, also have worked with Scott for a long time. There were a couple of the assistant TOs that were very knowledgeable people. They had maybe ran some local RTTs. But when I had discussions with them, the judge that you had trouble with in particular, I had previously in the tournament had a talk with him where I said something I say to most new TOs. I said, the hardest part about becoming a TO is learning how to not interfere with games. It's about how do you watch a game and watch players play rules wrong and not interfere. In fact, the only time as a judge you should interfere without being asked are some very, very few extremely egregious situations or if you see an experienced player taking advantage of a less experienced player. These are about the only two places where a judge is. And when I had had that discussion with the judge that you had a little trouble with, he rejected those ideas. He did not hold them as true. He didn't buy into them. He argued with me about that. And so I wasn't surprised later in the tournament to hear that. Now, one of the other TOs for the event, Mr. Rodrigo Duarte Pardo, who is actually the TO for Mexico who came up, um, he and I had that same discussion and he also disagreed with me. But when he was overseeing the live stream games before interfering with the uh, the mission, I was able to call him over and have the discussion and tell him, hey, let's let some stuff happen here. And uh, so he actually didn't have any problems. That was why, uh, by the way, neither one of those guys was the TO for your last two missions on the live stream there, Jeremy. Yeah. And and for the context, it's it's not like I asked Joe, like if, uh, if Joe told me this, the ability increases the range of the, the banishment mechanic, and I said, wait, I don't think it does. And Joe said, no, it definitely does. And I said, you know, as a nice guy, like, okay, fine. That's a, that's an opening for the judge to step in. But I didn't even say that. I just, like, I was like, yep, that sounds about right to me. And by the way, for context for the audience here, um, there is a fact that says it does, right? It's not like, it's not like that ruling, that, that ruling was, and also for additional context, when the judge stepped in and said otherwise, I we didn't do a backseize. I already moved my model. I was like, it's fine. Like we'll just we'll just leave it, right? But the context of the matter is that I did not, as a player, raise concern, which was when you raise concern as a player, that's an invitation for a judge to step in if they know better. But if I don't raise that, uh, and my opponent is not abusively taking advantage of the rules. That's not an invitation for somebody to come in mid-game. I thought, I, I honestly thought, like it threw Joe off his game for the rest of the game. So, so anyway, that's how my game, my first game of day three went. <laughs> and, and I, I, I want to say, let's hand it off to Alex if uh, there's an, but if there's another concern, well, let's uh, let's let's hear what Alex play. did because I'll tell you, be honest with you, Jeremy. 
we can see both your round seven and round eight on the live stream. So we don't need a lot of details. We can hear what Alex's day went to and then maybe jump in and just kind of hear how your day ended. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, uh, part of my salt a little earlier. You guys were accentuating, or at least I uh, interpreted it as you guys accentuating the uh, the idea of a round eight and a round nine, uh, which, uh, you know, kind of hurt me a little bit, kind of hurt my feelings. Um, for, for those listeners who may not be aware, I played six games. So that tells you right there. Um, I, I played against Anthony Lawrence in, uh, the round, uh, the night before, you know, I, I was trying to look over his list and I knew, um, you know, talking to Jeremy and talking to a bunch of other people, you know, I knew kind of the ins and outs of, uh, the Daughters of Cain army anyways, to begin with. So really just learning a little bit about some of the other things he brought, like his chariots was all I needed to know to get a good idea as to what those, uh, you know, what the mission was going to look like for me. I also knew that I beat him on drops. So I knew that I was going to be able to choose first or second. Now, this is where things get tricky. Um, I knew that, uh, his blood sisters were, Basically like Hearthguard, you could argue that they were more or less deadlier than a unit of 20 Hearthguard. I still believe that they may have been less deadly, but um, Jeremy and I talked the night before where we were partying, and he just said, Alex, he put his shoulder on me, he said, Alex, as long as you don't play dumb, you're probably likely to win this game. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I didn't play smart. So <laughs> I, gave, uh, I gave Anthony first turn, and uh, he, you know, went up on shifting objectives enough to, you know, basically clip all three objectives and hold all three for his five points. Uh, the main objective was in the middle. Uh, gain, and then on my turn, I do the same thing, but I jump on the objective with basically my entire army except for Arkham. I had mystical, I mean, uh, uh, arcane terrain on my side, a lot of it. Um, and in addition to that, my side of where the objectives lay, I could put um, on one side and in the middle a whole unit of Mortec Guard in the terrain and in cover at the same time. So having that standing to up save. But I had the eye of the tiger, so to speak. Uh, you know, with the, with Osiric Bone Reapers, the, um, the uh, Stalic Lords, I believe, are the ones that are like bloodthirsty and gur, and they totally forget about all tactics, and they jump in for the kill. Well, apparently I wasn't playing Petrifex. Apparently I was playing those guys instead because I took his bait and I charged uh, my Mortec Guard units, my two big ones, into his front line because they were just close enough. Um, and the moment I consolidated in, I realized I had made a mistake. Now, I still held all the objectives in that round um, as well. But then uh, through a combination of incredibly bad dice rolls, um, having the uh, primary objective always go in the same spot for the next three rounds, uh, which was the least convenient spot for me. And of course, making that charge round run rather than just sitting on the objectives on all three uh, tables or all three uh, objectives and just saying, come at me, bro. Um, those were the biggest mistakes I made in that game. And, uh, you know, it was unfortunate. Um, and I also, uh, another big one is I had forgotten about banishment on round two uh, or round three, rather, uh, which is when I needed it to either throw a unit of blood sisters away or uh, away from me or even throw the um, Medusa away to avoid giving the buffs to the, the blood sisters. That would have been huge. But um, 
it is what it is. It was a great game. I could not have lost to a better opponent. Uh, you know, Anthony was in it, in it to win it. He was already in the top 10. He obviously was in the top eight. Uh, I knew I had a very smart player on my hands. And, uh, you know, we, we had a drink afterwards. We talked about it. And he straight up told me, you know, when you moved on all the objectives, I just I, I thought I was going to lose. And I hoped that you would go for the bait. Didn't think you were. Uh, you went for the bait. And I was shocked. And I told him, yeah. I'm shocked that I made that decision as well. So uh, it was a, it was a, my my mission to win, and I decided to lose it. So uh, you know what the worst part about all of this was wasn't that I lost, um, and not, not that I lost to a good player either. I think it was fantastic that I left, lost to such a nice, respectful, great dude, really smart uh, player. But what killed me is right before round two, you know, I was about to go get lunch with my brunch with my fiance because I had the rest of the day on my hands. But right before round two started, I get yelled at saying, hey, Alex, uh, you, you got to go over to the live stream. And I'm like, well, what for? Well, they say, well, you're, you're playing. Uh, and I was like, I'm not playing. I lost. And the judge just tells me, ah, go to Scott. Ask Scott. Talk to him. I went, okay, okay. Uh, I go up to Scott and I say, hey, uh, I was told I need to go to the live stream table to get another game in, but uh, I lost my first game. I am out of the running. And Scott said, well, I mean, John told me to come get you, you know, assuming that John had full confidence that I was going to win that round. And uh, I, I looked at Scott and I said, you're, you're breaking my heart right now. You know that, right? And uh, he apologized. And I said, no, it's not your fault. It's John's. He had, he had too much faith in me. And I disappointed him. So uh, really, I, I went into my, my meal with my fiance just in the lowest of moods because of that, John. I, um, I'm sorry to have put you through that, Alex. But honestly, in my mind, there was no doubt that uh, you were going to be there. And, and actually, just to pile it on a little bit, I mean – what you've really done is your your inability to to win that game has denied our listeners, has denied the world the pleasure of seeing Alex versus Jeremy on the live stream. This would have been the time. This would have been it. This would have been when we finally seen Alex's Aussie Arc Bone Reapers actually win against the fire slayers it would have been amazing we would have had obr on the live stream i would have my good friend alex on there alex would have redeemed himself before the world defeating le bogeyman and went on to win the lvo <sighs> anyways that's how my day was supposed to end on sunday and it, it didn't end that way it was it was half that good though well really just as good because jeremy is also a very good yeah friend. but <laughs> it's it's okay I'm not. I don't feel any less. I just want to tell you, yeah, Alex. Absolutely. You know, he he looked at me. Anthony ended. Uh, you know, we were when we were sharing that drink. He said, "Well, hey, you know, you're never going to make that mistake again." I'm like, "You're goddamn right. I'm not." Um, but we don't have to talk about me wallowing in uh, self pity here. Let's talk about your game seven and definitely your game eight here. Yeah. So. Uh... I played Anthony Lawrence, the person who had just baited Alex into uh, making a poor decision. Um, and uh, uh, the game went a little bit differently because I already played Anthony on round five uh, and only got a minor win off him. Uh, but this time we played on, on um, a mission that uh, it, it was, I forget it was. Places oh, of Arcane Power. Is, thank you. Where heroes sco score the objectives and there's four heroes in the, on each corner. Now, in this mission, um, 
I did one thing a little bit differently than our, our my game against Anthony the last time, which is that I actually committed to the field and decided I was go- going to nuke uh, his uh, his uh, blood sisters, and also take a bit of a gambit with um, a deep strike of mine, or sorry, out of magma tunneling reserve mechanic. Um, so on turn one, I, I give him the first turn because he's way more drops than me. He moves forward a little bit. Inches a hero, uh, one of the hack queens, uh, and on the objectives and one of the top corner, uh, does not make a move for the one on the bottom because he knows like it's in range of my hearth cards. So uh, he scores his one point. On turn one, myself, um, I managed to get what I would consider um, rewarded for making stupid decisions. Uh, <laughs> no, it's they, they weren't stupid, but they were basically like. Sometimes the difference between the best players in the world and the and and the the really good players is that they take gambits and high stake games and it just pays off for them. And that's what I did. I basically took a gambit, sent my Grimwrath Berserker by himself down the bottom right corner of the object to the objective to chase down some scourge runner spirits and then i uh, uh, magma tunneled my 10 hearth cards of uh, my auric rune smitter uh to his one objective that he was scoring of a hack queen which by the way was why it had a 30 slaughter sister uh, slaughter sisters i don't think that's the right term but i'll call them that um uh, not really bubble wrapping her. She was just, they weren't able, they did not get a good enough run to just bubble wrap her. So I could definitely like actually hit her. Um, I sent both of them in, rush their hearth guards down the middle. Did not charge per se um, because, well, uh, I, you know, I didn't need to. My heroes were in range of the middle objective. Like I was in a good position to just look at, look at them effectively. Um, but on the first turn, I managed to roll nine-inch charge for the unit of ten horror curve cards. Um, we were facing his hero, and then my Grimrath Berserker said, "You know what? This is my day to claim glory," and rolled an eleven-inch charge. Not that he needed it, but rolled an eleven-inch charge anyway, um, and got into a scourge runner, and also getting me that second corner objective. So now Anthony was looking at the really strong possibility that is one hero on the top corner. That was the only hero that was ever going to get to the objective was about to die. And the fact that I had not only the center objective covered, the t- uh, a hero threatening his home top corner objective, and another hero just basically punching his scourge runners and also scoring points with little to no threat to that hero, by the way, because the scourge runners did the only thing that could threaten that hero. And then turn two priority rolled, and I won priority. And I think that's when basically the game ended for Anthony. Not that it like necessarily ended in terms of um, combat and models removed, but, uh, well, I should mention, the hero on the top right survived the 10 horror curve cards with one wound left because she rolled like three sixes on the Feel No Pain or Shrug Saves. But the, the fact was, no matter when I won initiative on turn two, and had all those heroes positioned for the objectives, it was very unlikely for Anthony to be able to recoup those points going forward. So that was the, the end of game seven for me on the stream. Great opponent. Loved the fact that I had to play him twice for <laughs> deciding who was going to be the top ITC player because at this point I only had Alex and him to worry about. 
But let's go into my wait, game wait, before, eight. Wait, wait, before you go into game audience. eight there. So at this point, you've been on the stream for uh, a full game, and the audience of the stream is noticing something. They are noticing that you are the absolute gentleman on the tabletop, that you're explaining everything that you do. Uh, when your opponent is forgetting rules, you're not only giving them mulligans, you're pointing out things that they're forgetting. You are showcasing, Jeremy, the most open, direct, honest, and gentlemanly gameplay that I have me maybe ever seen in person. Like, exemplifying, exemplifying uh, top gameplay. I, I was so impressed by your, uh, shall we say, above-table action. It was amazing. And the live stream that was really taking note of it by this point. And the thing is, like, I don't really, like, think of it that way, like, that it's not an amazing. I expect all my opponents, and I expect myself to that standard, and I expect okay. you, Alex, to that standard. Uh, <laughs> it's not it's not a jab. I, I It's just it. It's not that amazing to me. That's that should be the standard, right? And what frustrates me when it's it's when it's not, and when it's an egregious uh, advantage. Uh, the I like to win fairly and honestly, but I also like to win knowing that my opponent plays the the play the best game he could. But uh, if you don't mind me, John, can I go into game eight? Yes, of course. This game is really interesting. Um, so game eight is against William Sonohill, a man of Indonesian descent. Lovely, lovely man has the biggest smile. Well, you know, he's the most one of the most optimistic person I think I played that weekend. In terms, of like, no matter how bad the roles are or how good the roles are for me, he's he's got a smile on his face. He's he's never like downtrodden. Uh, we're playing. Um, oh my god, I can't. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just like absolutely total, terrible. Total conquest 2019. Thank you. Um, and we're playing. The four objective missions, and as I like to describe it, in each corner of the table, uh, where basically people will get extra points for retaking them from if you retake an objective that your opponent had the, that same that previous turn. It's the worst mission for fire slayers because it forces you to split your army, so it minimizes the amount of rule like buff overlap that you can have on the hearthguard blocks. It's 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 one of the worst ones. I, I wouldn't say uh, maybe calling it the worst is bad, but it's one of the worst ones. Effectively, I think Star Strike might potentially be the worst, depending on luck. But the the problem in that game is um, I'm playing against a, ho uh, a host of Sinesh list with the double depravity mechanic, which is by the way not a mechanic from the book. It's a mechanic from the White Dwarf um, and <laughs> with White Dwarf publication, which you probably we all know that none of those are getting play tested. Uh, it's not a jab on Williams list. It's just that. It's it's funny to me that they uh, they kind of fixed and addressed the summoning mechanic for Slanesh to an extent, but then published that white dwarf. Uh, what I mean is they upped the cost of things, but then published the white dwarf army, which were, hey, by the way, you get double depravity mechanics, which completely made that entire change meaningless uh, because things only went up about 50% cost, but then you double the amount of depravity points you get. So Games Workshop, thanks for that foresight. Um, but... I played that game thinking that um, I can win without without actually killing his big monsters. Because the thing about William's list is that he has it's a monster mash list. He has like sixty marauders and and then a three keepers of secret and the, the special demon prince from Slash on a mission that is four objectives. So as long as I focus on not giving him depravity points by killing his heroes and just kill his scoring units, I can win the game. 
And that's exactly what happened in the game, except for the fact that on turn three, which was the deciding priority role for the game, uh, because in that si- he was we were fi- he was staring in a situation where if I won the priority role that game, uh, he would have I would have scored five points because we're in a situation where I de- a magma tunnel ten work uh, ten herf guards uh, and his home objective corner because it's an angled um, deployment, and they managed to get once again a nine inch charge out of the river reroll out of their magma tunneling and basically got to punk the 20 marauders that were sitting on his objective, giving me the ability to score his home objective um, and the other four, uh, three, sorry, three objectives during that turn, which may put him in a bad situation. Like it was a pretty bad situation looking forward to if, if turn three went uh, sorry turn two was him clawing out of this situation which was oh i need to commit a keeper of secret to one objective i need to commit another keeper of secret to my home objective and i need to commit a, a keeper of secret to challenging especially the one that moves like 18 inches uh to my other uh my home objective as well and he did and they charged and they 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 were killing her guards but they weren't really necessarily wiping them out like i mean i wasn't in a position to interrupt his his uh, uh keeper secrets with the fire slayer herm guard ability that lets me strike first um but it it didn't matter like the thing is like i was trying to not give him depravity points i was trying to not wound his keeper of secrets that was the entire game plan here i do not want to give him the ability to summon more units late game um, with the few amount of depravity points he got in the first two turns, he summoned only 10, uh, 20 uh, demonettes, one of them in his home of objective to be able to retake it, and one on my home objective to be able to take it away from me. Um, but on turn three, the t- crucial role, he managed to win the role. I had prior, I had the advantage, and he I rolled a one, and he rolled, I think, a three. Uh, I don't remember exactly. And basically, he had the ability uh, in that turn, he was able to wipe out most of my army, leaving me with um, one Hearthguard block, uh, the, the Lord of the Lodge one, and some of the heroes in the Lord of the Lodge one. But had the priority gone the other way, he would have been staring at basic. I would have been able to just retreat the surviving Hearthguard from his own objective. Not that they were going to claim the point, but it was like a threat that his Keeper of Secret had to keep dealing with because. They could kill the 10 demonettes on the objective. So they that one wasn't going to move towards the other objectives. And during my turn, I would have was able to, I would have been able to just walk on his other reachable objective and get it with my five or curve guard and the Grandmaster Berserker, and most likely kill his special demon prince that turn, leaving him with only one model to challenge that objective. And then the uh, the other keeper secret that went for a beeline for my home objective had to face the Lord of the Lodge Hearthguard block, which would have meant that he would have probably lost him and the de- 10 demonettes on the objective. At that point, I would have been looking at a 13, sorry, a 14 point lead because we were nine points tied in going into turn three. And I would have scored uh, five points that turn from retaking two objectives and scoring one for the one I already owned. And leaving in a position where he only had two Keeper of Secrets to effectively challenge two objectives were about 40 inches from them. So the odds are, with, I, man, I mentioned, threats on the objectives that he had to deal with. So he, the game would have ended on that, turn, that priority rule. 
But, you know, when the Friday rule came and he already knew that was the outcome if he wanted, I didn't want to end the game just then. I just wanted to keep rolling dice and let the audience kind of enjoy like a longer, like it's nothing worse than like for an audience to watch a top table game. And it just ends up in like a turn, like kind of a turn, a turn to like a concede. Uh, but we're in a situation where um, I just wanted to roll it out just to, and let them enjoy. And, and some funky things happened that were exciting, but had no impact on the game whatsoever. Like, for example, I had my unit of 10 orc, uh, my, turn, unit, uh, my unit of 10 hearth guard uh, make 13 out of 15 shrug saves, uh, which is like absolutely bonkers in terms of statistics. But once again, had like no impact on how the game was going to go. Um, mostly because like he, you know, all of his keepers got to activate like twice for two full turns. Uh, so it's not like they were going to survive the onslaught. And I had no way to, in, like I said, I did not care to inter- you know, intercept him in his activation because I was trying to not kill his Keeper of Secrets <laughs> or at least win them to give him depravity points, um, which is a really as backwards, like, you know, strategy here because it's not a good feedback loop for the audience if the entire game and mechanic is like, I'm trying to not kill you because I'm trying to play to the objective. Um, and because if I kill you, then you're going to be able to challenge the game for the rest of the turn, uh, or you're going to have some late game mechanic uh, challenge the game. But anyway, I think I'll uh, get off my podium now and let the rest of my co-host, uh, you know, especially John, who got to watch the game, make some comment, some delightful commentary about it. Oh, well, <clears throat> what can I say? Uh, that game again. It was it was wonderful to watch you guys play. The 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 back and forth above the table. William, a real gentleman. Yourself, a real gentleman. Uh, all good stuff. Perfect. So in the end, LVO twenty twenty, we had one winner, and it was William. And William's army is phenomenal. It looks great. He played great. He definitely deserves the win. Uh, when we take a look at the overall standings, uh, you know, William, of course, got first place. I ended up getting second place and, or no, no, my apologies. <laughs> I wish I got second place. Jeremy got second place and I just went and got eighth place. Um, you know, the, though I got second in the first five rounds, uh, Swiss pairings and strength of schedule, um, I ended up getting eighth out of the, you know, 180-ish people or 170-ish people who ended up uh, showing up. But uh, in the end, Jeremy, you did uh, you did great. You got second place. And uh, with that, that may have led to a few other awards is that right <laughs> oh yeah actually led to quite a few other awards um it would have been nice to win uh, top lvo but uh i did not happen i'll settle for a second place uh, it just gives me a one more goal to strive for for next year i guess even though that's probably really out of the running but uh i won uh i won top itc for 20 i was crowned itc champion for 2019 as well as best order Best Fire Slayer. Um, and third on the hobby track, which that one was a real surprise for me. <laughs> um, but then again, we just need some more folks to submit points to the hobby track is what I think this tomorrow's story is uh, for that one. But about you, Alex, I know you walked away with some prize. I mean, so much so that I saw you packing it into some illicit boxes. <laughs> 
Yeah, I had to steal, steal some boxes from Frontline. Uh, I was a little overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, you know, in LVO, of course, I got eighth place. I was the only death player in the top ten, uh, top eight, so I did get best uh, Bone Reaper and best Grand Alliance death. Um, for the ITC season, I ended up getting second. I was just – well, I wasn't just behind you, but I was the only person who was just behind you, so to speak. Um, so so I got second place in the ITC overall, uh, in addition to uh, best Ossiak Bone Reaper – best Grand Alliance death and best Night Hunt. I was like 300 points behind the next person for Night Hunt anyways. Um, so I went away with two Grand Alli- or one Grand Alliance award and two faction awards. Um, I got second place on the hobby track, which was also uh, not, you know, it was, it was a surprise. Um, you know, it wasn't a complete shock, but it was a surprise. Uh, it wasn't initially announced apparently. So, you know, that's when I discovered that you then also got third Jeremy. Um, and, yeah, uh, uh, at the actual uh, awards themselves. Uh, I also, for the actual tournament itself, I ended up getting a third Renaissance person as well. Um, so just all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff that I got here. <laughs> um, and then the Left Coast Corsairs, we did get uh, best team as well. Uh, the Left Coast Corsairs uh, ended up getting best team and started off the new season, the 2020 season, with a huge point win from our good teammates, uh, you know, Sergio and Michael Schwartz, winning um, the doubles tournament with, I believe, 46 teams, 46 pairs of players in the event. So not only did we get these awards uh, uh, for the season uh, as a team, Jeremy and John and, and myself, but um, we ended up having can some we, great friends end up solidifying the uh, Can we make a shout out to James O'Brien for winning third ITC as well? Um, yes. And I, I'm going to start the story of a little bit of a caveat here. So James O'Brien is the third um, left coast Corsair to win that event. Um, mostly because, oh, sorry, win the ITC, the circuit, um, because, as, well, John and uh, Alex know, but I have formally joined the team as of Saturday <laughs> night. Uh, so technically, the left course courses have the three top ITC spot in a, in a sense. So that gives you a context for all the teams out there. We're trying to, uh, you know, want to challenge for next year. Um, you need to come to a, and challenge us and crush us. That's just not going to happen. Right? Right? You want happen. that spot? Yeah. Well, you know, but they want that spot, so they got to try, John. I'm trying to egg them on here. I, need I hear you. I hear you. Well, here, here's, here's I where I see it, uh, Jeremy. <laughs> and uh, first off, welcome to the team. It's been a, a many-year journey to, to bring you on, and uh, we'll be at, uh, having some more great members joining our team, too, this year. Um, but the way I see it is this. You know, a couple years ago, we won best team as a, as a team, and I have that trophy uh, sitting very nicely in my trophy case uh, amongst some other awards in there. And then this year, we've won best team again, and that is, of course, going back to the East Coast with Garrett and James. And finally, you know, we actually just need to go out and earn best team a third time because I really feel that we should have uh, one of these trophies uh, up in the great Northwest as well. So once we have a trophy in each area where we represent across the country, then then I think it'll be okay for someone else to step up. Until then, sorry guys, Left Coast Corsairs, we're going to go ahead and take that trophy again next year. Ooh, ooh, that's a big talk. <laughs> oh, boy. And, uh, you know, in terms of other uh, 
Awards here. Yeah, not only did James O'Brien get third place overall in the ITC, but it was also his birthday during the awards ceremony. So let's call that a, a birthday gift to him as well. Happy birthday. Happy late and birthday, And unfortunately, James. like so many people, um, he was also well, battling yeah. that con crud all weekend too. So there was just a, a nasty <laughs> something washing through LVO this year. Like every other person I talked to was either full-blown sick or found themselves battling something. It was pretty gnarly. I mean, James also had the uh, his birthday gift right out of the gate was playing against the ITC winner for last year on the first very first round, and I think that was his only loss of the weekend, which is it unfortunate. Is. <laughs> yeah, James went into round one against uh, Bill Souza. Bill's yeah, yeah, Bill's blister skin list. It was the moment I saw that matchup, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Hard oh, mode right in the morning. Um, exactly hard mode activated <laughs> oh boy well guys what's your final takeaway sure from my final takeaways well uh what can i say uh this is one of the first times i've gone to the lvo and have not competed it i've actually been to every lvo uh playing 40k or age of sigmar played in the age of sigmar championships for since they first came out uh this year was asked to do the live stream an entirely different experience and I enjoyed it. It was a massive learning experience for me. I learned so much, met so many new and different people, got to see and experience the tournament from a different side of things. Uh, another big, huge shout out to my buddy, Roger Vance. Uh, I feel we are going to be fast friends uh, after talking that much this weekend. Great guy. Thank you for hanging out with me all weekend. Another shout out to Dave and Dave over on the 40K side. Uh, both of you guys came over, gave me some advice, made sure I was okay. Uh, just were kind of there in case I needed any help. That was great and wonderful. Of course, Mr. Scott Reed, the seminal TO of the Age of Sigmar. All of your support, everything all weekend, Scott. Always a pleasure to see you and your lovely wife. Uh, Mariana, of course, thank you for the help. You are the boss when it comes to the live stream. So I appreciate everything. And then again, one last final shout out to our listener, Corey McKinney. Hey, bro, we'll see you next time. And that was my LVO 2020 experience. Probably the best, most enjoyable uh, experience I've had, even though I was beating the crud the entire time. What about you, Jeremy? I know one of my pleasures over the weekend was watching your success, watching you play those games, and honestly interviewing uh, you and a lot of other friends. And so by the time this episode releases, everybody, you should look for another live stream. Uh, I'm going to publish it probably uh, Wednesday. Uh, we're basically looking at a bunch of interviews with uh, different top players and other people from the LVO that I took. Yeah, I'm gonna. This year for me is uh, going to be uh, the penultimate experience for Age of Sigmar game. So I won ITC this year for last, well, for the last year circuit. So I'm looking forward to not only, no, well, I should rephrase that. I pleasantly came home to find my wife asking me how I'm gonna defend my title for next year. 
Um, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, my wife is already in full support of me trying to defend my title. Well, I should put that a caveat because she wants to beat me so she can say that I, um, she has defeated the winner and then maybe go on herself to win it, which is an unrealistic experience. I don't think I've ever coached somebody to play Age of Sigmar that well in a year. But Well, we'll you're, you're we'll about to learn happens. something that I know um, well. Uh, you never win by beating your <laughs> wife, so... <laughs> yeah, I think the U.S. government has something to say about that as well. Uh, but uh, the, mo- the the other thing is I'm going to be representing America for ETC this year. And uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to carry that team, but I would very much like to carry that team to winning uh, ETC. And I want to say that uh, if you have support or so energy please give us your energy for that tournament we're going to be going into the largest etc uh tournament for aos there's i think uh, something more than 20 teams on like last year it's almost same thing as lvo uh it doubled in size uh for aos so we're going to it's going to be some tough competition and i got to i got to meet a lot of the french etc team uh at uh, lvo this year so yeah i'm looking forward to it I uh, might even say I might even try to defend my fire, my king of fire slayer uh, aspect because a lot of those teams are going to be bringing fire slayers as one of their armies. Oh, but, I bet yeah. they will. Oh boy, yeah. I uh, myself for the 2020 season, I am also looking at your throne, Jeremy. Um, it's looking mighty, mighty comfy up there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, uh, just going to try to get a bunch of hobby stuff done and uh try to keep on playing both these armies both the bone reapers and the night hunt i definitely want to try some of those new battalions for the night hunt armies but that'll come in time uh you know with with the actual uh say overall goals besides that i really don't have any i'm glad that you guys have a lot of them though and i had no idea that your wife was going to get into aos so that is fantastic yeah, well, we'll we'll see well, that, hey, if that actually happens. But she's just no, really. I, I tell you what, it down. is the season because uh, Donna has been expressing to me that she's now fired up and interested in playing some Age of Sigmar again. So uh, maybe we can play off that energy and get uh, get the wives going too. What do you think, uh, Alex? Are you going to get Jamie to maybe uh, roll some dice with us too? Ooh, you know, I can try. I probably would have to start with Warcry or something like that and then maybe expand from there. I got to get her into board games first. So, uh, absolutely. Okay. Can I'm, you guys hear? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, that's what you get. You're, you're with, of course, somebody <laughs> yeah, who's cooler than all of the rest of us combined. We know that. <laughs> yeah, okay. the, the worst part is I would love to see Jamie play OS because if she was my opponent with her, like, look, I would have been like, oh my God, I feel like she's just like. <laughs> I'm fucking right. up. I'm making a mistake. It's just like the constant like pressure. <laughs> you know, I'll say, I'll say, um, I don't, I don't use, you know, say her, her, you know, laptop or computer or anything like that very often at all. But all of a sudden she sent me a screenshot once and she said, what the hell is this? And it was a link to a YouTube video and it was these two girls on it and they both had like AOS minis. They went out a night hunt. Uh, one had a chain rasp. One of them had, I think, like a war chanta. And it was like these uh, these two girls who who have YouTube videos of playing AOS. And it was like 
I've never searched a single thing on her computer with AOS at all or wargaming in general. So I told her we got zucked or we got, uh, we got Googled. Ooh, that's, that's a good, that's a good excuse. I'll have to uh, remember uh, to use that one too. Thanks for the advice there. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I got zucked. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) I got zucked. And so uh, (laughs) that came as a big surprise to me, but uh, yeah, you know, let's see, that'll be my goal. I'll try to, I'll try to see if we can get her into something, uh, get her, give her the eye of the tiger. Right. So with that, uh, if you guys do like this episode, do feel free to give us a shout out on uh, Facebook or Twitter and uh, be sure to leave us a review on Apple podcasts or on Facebook as well, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We do post every week on frontline gaming's uh, street uh, role as well. But uh, be sure to get see our episodes in the later half of the work week every week. Uh, with that, it is going to be Alex, John, and Jeremy signing off for the evening. Have a great Adio, day, folks. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-the-time thing. You don't win once in a while, and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.